I came into program when I was 14 years old um, and I'm 20 now. So, you know, I spent a lot of my teenage years in program, hearing program talk and not getting recovered. And in hindsight, part of that was my age, but also another part of it was that there were certain fundamental parts of program that I just didn't understand. I, I really had a hard time with the God idea, and this is a spiritual program of action. And it took years and years of eating and being aware of what I was doing to get me to a point where I was finally willing to surrender and finally letting, willing to let God do what I couldn't do for myself. When I came into OA, I was in an eating disorder outpatient program. Parents had taken me to three different psychiatrists. They couldn't figure out why at times I was gaining weight and why at times I was losing weight. And the reality was I was either restricting or binging and I was doing a pretty darn good job of hiding it. And it was, it was brutal. You know, there would be nights where I would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, so hungry that I had to go eat the lunch that I'd packed for myself the night before because I hadn't planned on breakfast. And so I would, I would open my little bag of carrots and granola bar and that would be it. That would be it. And um, I suffered from insomnia. So my parents would have to, right, they took me into a sleep study. You know, nobody could figure out why I had all these health issues that were going on. My blood pressure was sky high, um, which was dangerous for me because I have a cardiac condition. And again, it was all these mysterious symptoms that were directly linked to my compulsive eating and what I was doing to my body at this very young age. When I finally came to OA, I, my primary goal was to lose weight. I had put on 50 pounds between the end of my eighth grade year of middle school and the, the start of my high school year, freshman year. And I was humiliated. I wanted that weight off. I had thought that by transferring schools, I would somehow become a different person and I would make all these friends. Um, and I really didn't. I continued to eat. And so when I came to OA, I really wanted a way out from the weight. I didn't want the spiritual program. I just wanted to be thin like everyone at school. So the first meeting I went to, there was a woman there who was visiting from Chicago and she said, you know, I know the perfect sponsor for you. And she introduced me to a woman who actually encouraged me to listen to a vision for you, which is a healthy online OA meeting. And so I just worked one-on-one -on -one with this woman for a while. And I don't think I was very clear on what it was what abstinence meant at the time, because I got a lot of conflicting messages from my eating disorder therapist and from my sponsor. My therapist would say, you know, you can have pizza in moderation. When you're on your period, you burn 300 more calories, so you should eat a little cookie. And my sponsor was like, are you sure you know what you're allergic to? <laughs> but there was all this confusion because I was under the umbrella of my household, and they were telling me one thing, and the doctors were telling me one thing, and my sponsor is telling me something else. And as somebody who has tendencies to people please um, and has a fear of authority figures, you know, this was really hard for me and it made it really hard for me to become abstinent because I didn't know who or what to believe and I wanted to keep everyone happy. And so my weight started to go down. That was my goal. Uh, but I was still binging about once a month. And after the third time of that, my sponsor was like, I can no longer work with you. And that was pretty devastating to hear. But I just kept chugging right along, continuing to lose weight. And about a week before I entered my junior year of high school, I crashed on my bike and I got a concussion. And I woke up in the ER three hours or eight hours later. 
and all the skin had been ripped off my chin and I had stitches going through my eyebrow and like numerous cuts and scrapes and bruises all over my body. And I got to school having lost lots of weight that summer. And within those first two weeks, a boy asked me out. And this told me, <laughs> it's not about my face, it's not about anything, but it's about my body. Because finally, like my body doesn't look the way it did the first two years I was here. He's a new transfer student. He didn't see how I looked before enough to be repulsed by me. You know, it's about my body. This is about my body because clearly there's, my face is like a complete mess right now. So I continued to, to pursue my weight as a way of being lovable. Something I've come to understand is that in a way, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Abstinence is not the same thing as recovery. Recovery is removal of the obsession to eat compulsively. Recovery is living in God's light and seeking out ways to be of service to other people. And I thought that because I was thin, I was recovered. <laughs> and I would go to little meetings and they would say, who here is recovered? And I would raise my hand. And, you know, I didn't know any better at the time, but looking back, that was, that was really misleading for people who really needed help because this program is about developing a relationship with God. And all the time I was operating off of Natalie's plans and Natalie's ways of doing things. And I, I still got a secret thrill out of the food I did allow myself to eat. And, and lo and behold, you know, around Christmas time, I started to get the thought in my head that it would be okay to have a, a square of chocolate at night before bed. And I think we all know where this goes. But suffice to say, this led, one thing led to the next, and I ended up making a batch of gluten-free, organic, sugar-free, vegan banana bread with cold-pressed coconut oil. Um, and that led to a year and a half long relapse where I could not stop eating. I could not stop putting the food in my mouth. By the time I got to the end of high school, I, I knew that college wasn't for me. I had no idea of who I was or what I wanted um, because so much of my high school career had been spent eating and, and thinking about food. <laughs> and all my friends were like, oh, I'm going to this college. This is what I'm gonna do with my life. I just did not know. And the only thing I could think to do was to take a gap year. And so I think once that pressure of school was removed, it gave me a little bit more freedom and a little bit more headspace because I started working with another sponsor and she and I worked through the steps and, and I, I kind of started getting an idea of, of what it meant to fully admit powerlessness. And, and finally we got all the way through the steps and it was around October and I was just about to leave for what were going to be my gap year adventures. Um, I had signed up to volunteer in Indonesia. And after that, I was going to fly to France and then Spain for another volunteer program before returning home. So I headed off to Indonesia in recovery with sponsees and, and life was pretty wonderful. It, everything, was, everything was beautiful, right? And I could, I could just be in the moment and I could just handle each thing as it came as I was traveling, you know, I was with, God was with me the whole time. It was like, what do you want me to do, God? And there were all these things that came up while I was traveling, you know, like I, I ran out of money in the ATM and then I called my insurance company and they gave me $20 for free or bank company. So, so God was with me the whole time and I could see that. 
but but something that I didn't mention before was that right before I left, um, I was in recovery, right? But my sponsor had relapsed and I wasn't working with anyone at the time. And, and she was like, go find another sponsor. But I, it was like last minute week preparations. I didn't do that. And so while I was working with others, I started to slowly withdraw from other parts of program little by little. And this ended up kind of biting me in the butt, to be honest. I ended up getting into a relationship with another volunteer out of the volunteer site. And, you know, things got physical and I had never experienced that before. And I think because of my history of compulsive eating and because of the dysfunctional family dynamics that I grew up in, um, because both of my mom and my sister had eating disorders, my mom was bipolar, my dad was an alcoholic, or they all are, I shouldn't say they were, they all are. Because of that, I had this like deep shame around my body. And so when, when I started to get into this relationship with this person, I felt like I couldn't admit it to other OA members, that what I was doing was so shameful that everyone would look down on me and judge me. So I kept that part of my life a secret. And when I left Indonesia, he never contacted me again. I was deeply hurt. I alternated between anger and sadness and shame. And this went on for like a month and I'd never experienced that before. And I had no one to talk to about it. And there were other things that I had neglected when I was in Indonesia, neglected to notice. For one thing, I had started deviating from my food plan in little ways because there wasn't a whole lot to eat there. I mostly lived off fruit, eggs, and rice. And, and so I ended up kind of skipping around with my food plan quite a bit, which was starting to lead me to get these weird cravings that I was trying to suppress and control. And then another thing was that I wasn't well rested. I hadn't slept well with the heat and the mosquitoes and the sounds at night. Um, and I had many, many infected bug bites, one of which was turned into an abscess. So I had really neglected my physical health while I was out in Indonesia. And so I got to France and um, I just slept. I just slept and I went to the doctor and I slept. And then 10 days went by and I flew out to Spain where I would do my final final volunteering gig, and that would be that. There were a couple of things in my backpack that were exceeding the weight limit for the plane, one of which was my big book. And I told myself, I don't need this. I'll just leave it in France and have them mail it to me. That was not a very good idea in hindsight. Another thing that I neglected to pay attention to is the fact that the volunteer site in Spain was located in a town of 300 people with no Wi-Fi signal. That was also a problem. Um, and I began to have conflicts with the person who was in charge of the volunteer site. And I didn't have an instant way to contact people at home. I was very isolated. And so I started to do some strange things with food. I would climb up the rugged cliffs in Spain and it was lined with these beautiful twisted olive trees and carob trees. And I would pick up the carob pods and the dried olives off the ground and put them in my mouth and chew them and spit them out. And I would spend hours doing this and then I would return back to the volunteer site. There was also a passion, not a passion fruit tree, a persimmon tree in the backyard. And I would get a long stick and I would try to hit them off the tree. And I knew I kind of looked like a lunatic, but I couldn't really help myself. So I, you know, these food behaviors were creeping back in and, and I was just trying to handle it by myself, right? So I got home 
and again, God guided me home, right? I, at this point, I'm, I'm desperate to get home. I'm feeling isolated and sad, and I know I'm spinning out of control. And on the plane, the two people sitting next to me are parents of one of my former classmates from high school. And they looked out for me like I was their own kid. And, and it was just really, really nice to have that parent energy like on the last leg of my journey. So I got home and I started another job immediately. I got laid off from the job. I came back home, I went to a scholarship interview, and one of the questions that they asked me at this interview was, you know, what's the proudest accomplishment of your life? And at this point, I was really scrambling. I don't even think, I mean, I know I wasn't abstinent at this point, I wasn't working with anyone, but I had fallen into the mistaken belief that because I'm thin, everything's okay, and, and I wanted to believe it was okay. So I said to them, um, my proudest accomplishment is overcoming my eating disorder. And, you know, they commended me and praised me. And they were like, we were so proud of you for sharing that. And I got home and I binged like there was no tomorrow. And I, I stopped it at 12 a.m. And I said, you know, this is not going to happen again. Um, I'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be like a bad dream. And it didn't really seem like anything terrible happened after that. You know, my weight didn't balloon out of control. You know, things were okay. But the obsession was still in my head. And then college started. And I was crammed into a room with two other roommates, and I, I didn't really have any privacy to do program work or anything like that. And um, and I was at one of the most prestigious engineering schools in the United States with two other girls who are closer friends with each other than they were with me, and no privacy. And the constant grind of academics and the constant social pressure really got to me. And I think the lowest point during that time was one night I woke up in the middle of the night, actually. I woke up three times in the middle of the night and I had to go stand in the shower because I had had diarrhea in my sleep from everything that I had eaten and I just couldn't control my bowels anymore. And I knew I should be in pain and I knew I should be feeling something, but I could not feel anything. My brain was so disconnected from my body. I couldn't feel anything. So Christmas rolled around and, you know, I was really praying for the ability to be of service to my family and I didn't get to see these relatives a whole lot. So I really, really wanted to, to spread holiday spirit. And, you know, out came the cheese and nut platter. And we all know where the story goes. But, you know, I had had it. That was it. I had had it. I had seen that my full intention was to be of service to God. And I could see even when that was my intention, I, I couldn't do it. I really couldn't do it. And at that point, I became very willing to do whatever anybody would tell me. And I, I started working with a new woman, and it was like spiritual boot camp. I had thought that you can't really do OA while you're in college because college demands all these things of you, and there's no privacy and all this stuff. Um, but what ended up happening is I had to get up at 5.20 in the morning, and I would do my phone work and my meal prep before anyone else got up, and then I would get on with my day. And I just treated it like another class, like this is the 30 minutes that I spend on OA in the morning and then get on with the rest of my day. I was very strict with myself. I was very regimented with it. And and I guess like it wasn't even me being strict with myself. You know, something something greater than myself gave me the willingness to do that because prior to that, I had all these other priorities about being the best, getting the best grades. And at this point, I recognized I had to do whatever it took to get recovered. And my sponsor told me I had to stop exercising. 
and I, I stopped exercising and what a relief that was because I had been walking up to three hours every day just to try to avoid my feelings. So I stopped exercising. I started using the phone every morning and, and slowly but steadily I worked my way towards recovery. And it was very interesting too because it made me aware of how agitated I can get by the smallest things in the world. Like between my classes, I would have to sit down and, and I'd be calling people in those 10 minute class breaks. And I'd be like, you know, I'm feeling this way because, you know, this girl sat down next to me and she opened her computer and she was shopping during class. And that made me feel like she's smarter than me because she doesn't need to take notes. And, and then like after the next class, you know, these girls sat next to me and they didn't even acknowledge me. And now I'm feeling like they don't like me. And it was just constant. Um, but I was catching those moments as they came up over and over and slowly they started not to bother me as much anymore. And slowly it was like this giant knot that had been so tangled inside of me started to unravel because I was doing the work because I was addressing what was going on. And that was sort of what led me to, to recovery. And it hasn't been a straightforward path. I would love to say it has. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, I did engage in a food behavior, which made me a little bit nervous to come to this meeting because it makes me feel like I'm I'm being dishonest or I don't have anything valid to share with you guys. But I am a different person than the girl I was back then because I didn't try to say, oh, that didn't happen or, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, I called someone and I said, you know, I think I broke my abstinence. I didn't binge. I didn't have these foods, but I did a behavior that makes me feel sick. It makes me feel crazy. And so, and so I, I did that and, and now I'm working through the steps again and this time again, it's, it's always changing. The recovery is always changing and the mindset that I approach the steps is changing because this time it's about God. It's not, it's not really about putting down the food, but it's about, it's about God and finding, finding God and finding a higher power. And I'm just really grateful for the ability to be honest today. And I'm really grateful for all the experiences I've had because I don't feel like I've had a conventional life and I don't feel like I get to share this with, with many people. So thanks all for listening to me.